blessed us with life. You have placed us in a land of opportunity. You have graced us with skills, talents, abilities, and dreams. Knowing we are prone to sin in thought, word, and action, you sent your Son to redeem us at great cost. You adopt all who put their faith in you. You call us your children. You entrust us with your mission to spread grace, freedom, and purpose to all people across this world. Thank you for the lessons that come easily. Thank you for the lessons that are hard. Thank you for lessons we learn by grace under fire. Unite us as a family of faith. Convince us of your truth. Point us forward in hope. Comfort us with your love. Focus us on tasks you assign. Endow us with love for all who are different from us. Help us to care for the poor the homeless, and those who live on the margins. Let us reflect your image and represent well your name. Grant us the courage to treat those who disagree with us or despise us with dignity. Give us the tenacity to love when it stretches us, to give when it costs us, and to go where you send us, because we follow the way of Jesus. In the spirit of thanksgiving, we commit ourselves to follow the way of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Father, for receiving our prayers. Guide us as we worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Our scripture this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You don't have notes because our copier was deciding not to cooperate this morning. And uh, so we'll go old school a little bit, and let me read this for you. Paul is writing here, and this is the, the passage where Paul talks about his famous thorn in the flesh. 
He writes, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's an old story about a couple who were celebrating their 40th anniversary. They'd both been rather exemplary people, and an angel appeared to them and said, I've come to grant you your one request. What is it that you've always wished for? The woman spoke first, and she said, I've always wanted to travel. Poof! A pile of airline tickets appeared, targeted for destinations all over the globe. Then the angel looked over at the man who said, well, this may be a bit irregular, but I've always wished to be married to a woman 30 years younger than me. And then, poof, he was suddenly 90 years old. <laughs> we tend to chuckle over little stories like that because we have, because most of us have offered wishful prayers to God at some point in our lives. Even people who don't fully believe in God throw up prayers in moments of desperation. The middle school student who prays for help before a Friday morning test. The man or woman in a hard marriage who asks God to change the heart of their spouse. The family member who, whose loved one has been just diagnosed with cancer. The person who quietly asks God to take away their same-sex attraction. The parent whose communication patterns with a son or a daughter have badly broken down. We struggle with the reality of unanswered prayers continually. The longer we pursue God, the longer we know God, and we wonder what happens to those prayers that don't seem to be answered in the time frame that we hoped for or that we expected that God would respond to. So there's a question that we have. We wonder, where is the grace of God when my prayers go unanswered? That's the question, really, that's behind this morning's uh, message. Today we're going to dive into one of the toughest challenges of life, the challenge of finding God's grace when our prayers are not answered in the way that we want. This is part three of our Grace Under Fire series. First we talked about how God's grace is with us. Last week we talked about how God's grace is for us. And today we're going to look at how God's grace sustains us. The sustaining grace of God is one of the most essential features to Christian life. 
If you remember, three weeks ago I introduced the theme for this short series, that your faith is worth more than gold. It's based on 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, where Peter wrote, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You may be tempted not to believe this. Peter wanted us to know that the trials we go through are situations where faith and truth is tested and that that is a regular feature, a regular event in Christian life. And here he tells us that your tested and proven faith is worth more than gold. So here's the big idea for this morning in this final installment of this Grace Under Fire series. God's strength is made perfect in our weaknesses, revealing how his grace is sufficient in every season. Let's talk about how God's grace sustains us. First, it sustains us by deepening our prayer life. Two critical verses here in that long passage that I read a moment ago from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Sometimes we are tempted to think that the apostles consistently saw God's power on display whenever they called for it. Paul's statement here in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 turns that assumption on its head. He lets us know about something that he called a thorn in my flesh that was tormenting him. We don't know exactly what this thorn in the flesh was. Many have speculated. I read all kinds of commentaries and Bible notes about different people who have dived into this passage. Some think it may have been an eye disease or some nagging physical condition but we don't know, they are are just speculating because he offers us no clues about the specifics on this thorn. The Greek word that's used in the New Testament here for thorn, it's the only time that the Bible uses this word, refers to a tent spike or a splinter. So you get the sense that this is one of those things that is nagging, it can't be pulled out, it tears at him, it's there again and again, and it's painful in his life. Something that caused deep pain in a lasting way. Question, have you ever wanted something so badly that you begged for it? Maybe you begged somebody else, but maybe you begged God for something that you wanted so desperately. Whatever this thorn was, Paul pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away. He also described this as a messenger from Satan to torment him. Whatever this was, it was something painful, and God chose not to remove it from his life. Perhaps you identify because there's something painful in your life that God has not taken away, despite your prayers, despite your pleading, despite your anxiety over this, maybe even desperation. Sometimes God has a higher purpose than simply relieving us from pain, and that's hard for us to hear. Here Paul alludes to this when he says, to keep me from being conceited. In other words, he's he's not saying that God caused this, but God allowed this in his life because it was having an impact that Paul could start to see in his life. This thorn was producing a kind of humility in Paul. Despite the many revelations from God that he alludes to, he even tries to speak in the third person as if to not draw attention to himself. And yet, by even describing these events, He has to draw attention to himself. 
he lets us know that this thorn was humbling him. It is hard for us to understand the wider vision of God, especially in the midst of pain. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, we find God saying this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens, uh, as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This difficulty in Paul's life kept him in a posture of humility. It is humbling to admit that God's ways and thoughts are higher than our own. He was admitting that God didn't have to explain to him the purpose for his own pain in life. Think about this. Last Sunday, we talked about Joseph in Egypt. For 22 years, Joseph didn't fully understand what God was doing in his life. From the time when his brothers sold him as a slave through the years of servitude and even being a prisoner, finally being elevated to a position of authority in Egypt, he endured the pains of separation from his family, humble servitude, and loss of dreams. Only after his brothers left the region of Canaan in the midst of a worldwide famine to buy grain from Joseph in Egypt was he finally able to understand God's purpose in allowing him to suffer this way. But that was 22 years after the start. This kind of dependence upon God, Paul was saying, deepened his prayer life and his dependency upon God. We grow more deeply when we have to endure for a long time without the answers we seek. And in Paul's life, that's one reason why he allowed that thorn to stay. Here's a second way that we find that God's grace sustains us by leading us to embrace our weakness. In verse 9, Paul says, But he, the Lord, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul responds to that and he says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is an unusual passage in the New Testament. Paul admits that there was something that he needed to learn through this. In order to fully appreciate God's power, he was telling us that he had to learn to accept his own weakness. This may sound a bit backward to you, but the Lord wanted Paul to fully know his power to sustain him through all situations. And with Christ, we find his power through our weaknesses not through our own strength, not through our own power. And Paul received a message from the Lord that settled him. The message was this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The Lord was telling Paul that he was not going to take away that thorn. He was telling Paul that he would provide instead sustaining grace. This sustaining grace is what old John Newton wrote about in the third stanza of his great hymn, Amazing Grace. He wrote, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. He's recognizing that the way home with this kind of grace often includes more toils, more snares, more difficulties along the way. How often have we sung these words without really stopping to think about what they're saying to us? Seeing how God leads us through difficulties and trials gives us the faith and hope to trust that he will see us through to the end. This is sustaining grace. It's one of the greatest gifts that God gives to us.
So without having a strength of his own to boast in, Paul tells us that he will boast in his weaknesses. How odd, how strange. We don't hear this in our world. He did this because he realized that his weakness shined a spotlight on God's power. He realized that God had been with him through all of the ups and downs of his life, and God would continue to sustain him with enough grace for each season that was coming. He would do this without taking away the difficulties in Paul's life, specifically this thorn that tormented him from time to time. That raises another question. Is there an area of weakness that God is allowing in your life right now that he has not taken away despite your pleading? Sometimes we try to force Superman's job descriptions on God. We presume that it's God's job to swoop in and to take away every possible difficulty that could happen in this world. Everything that's bad, everything that's painful, and we blame God if he doesn't swoop in and somehow remove all the difficulties. That is why at a time like this, people shake their fists at God and say, where was God when this bad thing happened? But God never took on that job description. It only sets us up for disappointment when we think that that's his role. Instead, Paul decided to turn this weakness in his life into an opportunity for God's grace to shine because he knew that there would be days when he he would have no strength of his own. Perhaps God wants you to use your area of weakness in the same way. As I was writing this, I decided that I couldn't talk about weaknesses without applying this to my own life and letting you know. I've been dealing with an area of weakness in my own life. I'd rather nobody knew about this because I was trained and I was raised to be self-sufficient in life. But four and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with a form of cancer that only men get. So far, I've had four biopsies and two MRIs, and they find it's not growing, it's not spreading, so my doctor monitors it with more and more testing but they leave the cancer alone because it's not growing. Think of that, I have cancer. I have a cancer that's not growing, but it's continually there. I have to get checked about every three months for it. My family has known about this all along. Uh, Those who need to know have known, my close friends have known. I've asked God to remove it, but he has provided great medical care instead. (laughs) Isn't it great that our God provides those things for us? And there are joys that actually come from something like this. This has given me a better understanding of the fears and uncertainty that other people live with. It also teaches me that I'm not exempt from the kind of trials that a lot of other people endure in life. This has also served to help me become a safe sounding board for other men who have the same form of cancer. There are some forms of cancers that guys just don't talk about unless there's another guy who opens up and I find that keeps happening all around me this highlights something that Australian theologian Paul Barnett wrote he wrote the grace of God is not only for the beginning of Christian life it is for the beginning the middle and the end and I'm finding that there's this sustaining grace that God has for us in those seasons of challenge that we find throughout our lives So I come back to that big idea that I 
shared with you at the top of this message. God's strength is made perfect in our weaknesses, revealing how his grace is sufficient in every season. Here's a third way that he shows us his sustaining grace. By showing us our true strength. Look at verse 10. Paul writes, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Here's the reason he can do that. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Not because of his own strength, but because of Christ's strength flowing through him. God has a way of allowing our weaknesses to show forth his sustaining power. And so he puts it in such a beautiful phrase that can be memorized like a motto for when I am weak, then I am strong. It only makes sense to a Christian. This kind of wisdom makes no sense to people who are saying, I'm not ready to to commit to the grace of God in my life, that I need that or anything else like that. This makes no sense because it it seems like foolishness, but to the one who knows the presence of Christ in his or her life, this makes absolute sense. He says he is strong because he knows that he is dependent upon God's sustaining grace. It is the grace to stand up and fulfill the mission he has for us in the midst of our weaknesses. This can only be done when we rely on him. This can only be done when we rely on his power. So Paul Barnett says again, the power of Christ is rather power in weakness. We only know the power of Christ in those seasons of weakness because in the other times we depend on our own strength and we're not calling on him because we don't even have the sense that we need him because we can do it. We're self-sufficient the way you were probably raised too to think that you can make it on your own. Rather than denial Paul turns us into opportunity to glorify Jesus. First, he says he does this for Christ's sake. In other words, out of a sense of mission. And then he adds that he delights in weaknesses. He delights in insults, in hardships, in persecutions. I read this again last week, and I I thought, seriously, Paul? Seriously, you delight in these things? You delight in these difficulties? So I went looking to other translations to see if there's some clarity on what that word means. The New American Standard Bible offers a slightly different interpretation. He says, I am well content in weaknesses. Okay, I can grab a hold of that. Paul had written about the secret of, of contentment in his little letter to the Philippian church that we find in the New Testament. There he says, I I know what it's like to be in in need, and I know what it's like to be in plenty, but I've learned the secret of being content in every and all situations because it is Christ who supplies that need. That's where he says, I can do all things through him. The Lord uses our weaknesses to take us deeper into the realm of living by faith. There's a preacher in India who wrote, he sees our future, but often our prayers are short-sighted. That's the problem when you and I pray and expect God to answer exactly the way that we tell him to act. That God has a different plan, and it's a long-range plan. 
And he sees all the good that he hopes to bring out of our lives. And sometimes that does not mean that he answers our prayers the way that we want him to. He has his own goals and he has his own plans for us and sometimes those plans take a long time before they unfold. Garth Brooks has a song that reflects this. He sings, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. You know this song? I love Garth Brooks. He speaks to my heart in a lot of ways. This song was based on a story from his own life that happens to be true. He wrote about going to a high school football game on a Friday night and seeing his old high school flame across the stands on the other side and, and realizing sometimes God does a really good thing when he doesn't answer our prayers the way he wanted. In other words, he'd asked God to give him this girl as his wife years ago, and now he's looking back and saying, whoa, God, I'm so glad you said no. <laughs> and he looks over at his wife and his kids, and he's thankful in that moment for the way that God unfolded his plan that was wiser. And in the song, he's actually thanking God for unanswered prayers. That same pastor from India also tells the story of Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael was a missionary to India for more than 50 years. When she was a little girl, she lamented of her dark complexion and her dark brown eyes. And in a childlike way, she prayed to God and asked him to give her blue eyes. When she woke up in the morning and looked in the mirror, she was disappointed with God because she still had dark brown eyes. And she was brokenhearted and felt that God had let her down. But years later, she realized why her prayers were not answered the way that she wanted. Her brown eyes and her darker complexion allowed her to walk in the streets of India without calling attention to herself. It was a tremendous blessing. It was something that would not have been possible if she was blonde-haired and blue-eyed like she thought she should be. God's strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. You have them. I have them. When we offer them back to him, he reveals how his grace is sufficient in every season. As you've listened to this message, I wonder what thoughts were running through your mind. Have you been struggling with a prayer that God isn't answering your way? North River's vision statement reflects the transforming work of God in us today. People who are forever changed by God's love and daily changing the south shore and beyond for Jesus. Perhaps this is one of those moments when it's time for you to let someone else to pray with you or pray over you. Perhaps it's time for you to acknowledge to somebody else your weakness or your unanswered prayer and to turn that back over to God. He can turn that area of pain or weakness into a strength in your life. As we sing the final song that our worship team is going to lead us in in a moment, some of our deacons are going to come up in the, in the front here. They're not going to make a big deal about it, but if you would like to pray with somebody, they're here for you. If you'd like to find me out at the front door, I'll pray with you too. It's okay to admit that you're struggling. It's okay at, at some point because we all struggle. But you need to know this. God's sustaining grace is not just for the beginning part of your Christian walk with Jesus. It's for the beginning, the middle, and it's with you all the way to the end. He sustains us in his own miraculous way. 
He uses everything in our lives for His glory when we give it to Him. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for this wonderful congregation. Thank You for the many blessings You brought into our lives. And for a season where a few days things slow down a little bit so that we can stop, together we can thank You and we can recommit to what You're doing in our lives. Lord, hear the person who might be saying, God, I need this grace for the first time. I need the grace of Jesus in my life. I acknowledge that I've been doing things my own way. I'm locked in my own patterns, my own sins, my own head. Begin to change me. Begin to allow your grace to sweep into my life. Lord, hear the person who's a longtime believer but struggling with something that's deep and hard and painful. Meet that person at that point of need today with your sustaining grace. And allow us to encourage each other as we walk through life, trying to glorify Jesus to the end. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.